Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, everybody out there in podcast land. You are in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza, and my guest today is going to introduce to us a surprising solution to climate change. And I'd like to read a little bit of his bio because uh, I don't want to miss anything because it's so detailed. And it starts with a client with a climate denier in the White House who may win re-election, a neutered EPA, rising temperatures, melting ice caps, wildfires, and other weird weather. A growing number of millennials and other people are suffering from climate anxiety, which means that the fear of the earth will become unhabitable. This does not sound like science fiction to me, but that's why we're speaking to the experts. For over 50 years, he's a spiritual master, and he does not have any anxiety whatsoever. So let's see if we can get some of his secrets in this next 45 minutes or so. Without further ado, I'd like to welcome the author of the upcoming book, Conquer Your Mind and Deliver the World, empowering you to awaken your divine consciousness and create global happiness, Shankarshan yeah. Das. Welcome to the podcast. Well, it's, it's a great pleasure to be here. Sure. Uh, before we get started, uh, could you get that whole title on the front of the book? Uh, well, it, it's going to be, uh, the whole title will be there, uh, you know, the, the title and subtitle. It's the title and subtitle is what it is. Sure. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Now we're going to have a big cover in the front, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It took me back to the childhood color by numbers with those big coloring books, you know. So, hey. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if you do or not, but there's, like, there's pastimes, there's groups of adults that, like, color and all these different things. So it's having a resurgence. Wow, that's interesting. <laughs> but we're not here to talk about coloring. We're talking about surprising solutions to climate change. And before we get into that, you have a, a very interesting background. I like for you, um, first of all, we've never had a, a, a San Carson on our podcast before, and I believe that is through, um, is that through yoga? Is that your name derivative of yoga? Yeah, actually, it's a derived, and it's in this, the word Sankarshan is a name for the, for the Supreme Person, the source of all existence. In Sanskrit, it means he who attracts everyone. And Das means his servant. So I'm the servant of he who attracts everyone. Wow. That, I mean, that's a lot of weight on your shoulders, if you will, or, or do you, how well, do you approach I'm just a servant, so it's not so heavy, because I'm just a servant. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, before we get into that, I, I was looking at your lecture and your travel schedule, and some very fun places, uh, talking about Mauritius and Johannesburg and all that, that's upcoming. Is that still on the itinerary? Or, uh, or actually, you... because of the coronavirus, we were postponing that trip. And actually, we were going to go to India, but they just, India just announced they're not allowing anybody in now. No. So our, our, our trip is going to Mauritius and to India, but we we're, post, we're having to postpone that. We're going to try to go to India in the fall now and go to this, uh, Mauritius also later in the year. That's, we're postponing it. Yeah, just for the timestamp, it is March 11th 
at 7 p.m. at least Eastern Standard Time. In the next hour or two, the President of the United States is going to speak, and there's talk of a national state of, of um, what do you call it, national state of uh, Yes, emergency, thank you. And I'm wondering, you know, like you were saying before we got on the podcast, you were making the comparison between the flu and the coronavirus. And I wanted to get more of your position on that. Yeah, I just got a, um, I just got a report from a physician who said there's more people killed by the flu every year than they're being killed. So way, from, way more killed by the flu than by the coronavirus. That's the statistics. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why it's interesting that there's going to be a talk tonight, and I believe it's in response to the uh, World Health Organization claiming that this is a global pandemic. And before, they were on the sidelines of, of even bringing that to the world's attention because they didn't want the panic, but they felt that there wasn't enough responsiveness globally. And if they were to... Uh, put a name to it with that pandemic that people may uh, take this more seriously. Well, there's certainly something happening out there. There's no doubt about it. And we do have to take precautions, there's no doubt. But there's no reason to be in anxiety about it. Absolutely. And that's what I was wondering. That's why I wanted to speak with you, because especially with your name, I'm sure you don't look at things as the uh, traditional American would. And so what is, as a servant, what, What's a, a belief? Is it a belief system? And we're talking well, it's, about self realization. It's a whole science, an ancient science that's been passed down for thousands of years in India. And the scriptures called the Vedas, which describe the underlying harmony actually behind everything that's going on. Even there's actually a, there's actually a loving supreme person out there who's the source of all existence, or an underlying harmony that beneath everything. So everything that's going on here, whether it's good, bad, beautiful, or ugly, is all part of a, a positive program for uh, you know making improving everything. But sometimes well, there's like a cleansing that has to go on. It's like you're cleaning your house and you didn't know the dirt was there, and you're cleaning it out, and all you found this dirt under your bed, and oh, it's really dirty, but actually you're cleaning it out. So. Sometimes we deal with negativities. When you deal with them in, in the overall picture, you just see it's part of the cleansing process going on, and there's no anxiety about it. Wow. So it, it, would you also look at it as uh, the survival of the fittest as well? Well, see, ultimately we're all spiritual beings. The, the, uh, we, all, we all have bodies right now that are mortal. We're going to die sooner or later anyway. But when you go to the spiritual platform, Everybody's getting the result of their previous pious and impious activities. So if some, but there's a way beyond all that karma too, and that's what we teach. See, there's a law of karma. So everything that's happening right now is all in the law of karma. Nothing's happening outside of the law of karma. It's all perfectly happening under the law of karma. But we teach a technique that takes you outside of karma. Even if it was your karma to get coronavirus, we can teach you how, uh, how to overcome that karma and go to a higher dimension where you're no longer under the influence of karma. That's why we can yeah. be free of anxiety because even though the anxieties are there, we know the art of how to get, how to get free from all those karmic reactions. And we teach our sure. students how to do that. 
It makes me think of an, uh, a book I read many years ago from Yogananda. He was talking about the mm-hmm. state of ha- happiness. And the book was, I believe, around some of his lectures in 1920. And at that mm-hmm. time, you know, we were dealing with the, the influenza of 1918. And it was kind of the same environment, like you were saying, with, with karma and uh, yeah. out- outlook. Right, there were people panicking. He's like, "There's no need to panic. Uh, this is a law of karma, as you, as you were saying. Yeah. It's your karma to get to get it. You'll get it. And if it's not your karma, you won't get it. Of course, we take precautions, but even mm-hmm. if it is your karma, there's a way to think, act, and speak in such a way that the influence of karma that goes away from you. So you can actually transcend karma too. And that's what we teach. Oh wow! How to transcend your karma. So even if it was your karma to get it, you can actually nullify that karma and, and not get it. That's also good. So are you saying that if you were to get it, that was part of your life path before you sure, take any precautions? Sure. If somebody, if somebody can't get coronavirus, that means, uh, you know, they, they did, there was some impious thing they did in the past. Now they're just getting the, you know, getting reaction for it. Uh, just like in physics, we were taught for every action, there was an equal and opposite reaction. So that's true karmically as well. When you do pious activities, you get rewards. When you do impious activities, you get some kind of a punishment. But you can go beyond all those reactions by the higher consciousness of, of connecting with that supreme person, the source of all existence. That's called that's uh, called the yoga system. How to link with that divine source of all existence and harmonize with it, or ultimately, it's him in person. It, it makes me think of, uh, I, I did see some of the press release at 4 o'clock from the World Health Organization, and they said mm-hmm. the only reason why they stated that there's, this is a pandemic is to be proactive. And they said everyone else was being reactive, and they they need a kind of um, that proverbial push to be proactive. And so when you're talking transcending karma, what have you, the person going through it, may not know why they have the coronavirus. So how would you be yeah, take you know, precautions? If I were to come down with, with coronavirus, I would understand. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even know why, what, what I did that I got it, but I know that I've gotten it. So I, I, the, the first principle that frees one from all anxiety about this thing is to understand your actual identity is situated beyond your body. Because the body is a vehicle and the actual person is the what in Sanskrit is called the Atma, and it's something that's called the soul here in Western theology. There's actually the spiritual being is actually seated within the heart of the body, just like you sit in your car in the driver's seat. So the heart is actually the driver's seat, and you, the living entity, sit there uh, in, in that driver's seat. And if you think about it, as you've gone through life, uh, every moment that body is changing. It's like a river. Just consider, for example, the Mississippi River. There's so many water molecules flowing down the Mississippi. What were they yesterday? Well, they were the Missouri or the Ohio River. The mo- we may call that Mississippi River water, but actually it's a mix of Ohio and, and, and Missouri. And then tomorrow it will be in the Gulf of Mexico, and we'll call it Gulf of Mexico water. The same molecules have different identities according to where they're associated. So we identify this body as ourself because it's clust- the, these chemicals are clustered around the atma seated in the heart, but actually that body is constant. The chemicals that make up your body are constantly flowing in and out. 
At every moment, the old blood, old blood vessels are dying and new ones are taking their place. So what, my, what is my body today is a whole different set of chemicals than I had in the past. My, the body had a little kid that's long gone, but I still remember experiences I had in that little kid's body because I, the Atma, the soul, the driver, I'm the same. So when you realize you're not really that body and it's just a vehicle you're using uh, temporarily, then that frees you from a lot of anxieties. Nothing can wipe you out. You have a bulletproof coronavirus death Atma or soul. So when you realize your spiritual identity, then immediately you become free from all anxiety. Not, not, even somebody comes with a gun to shoot me, they can't shoot me. They may wipe out the body, but I'm just going to go on somewhere else. And so I'll take off from this. If you recommend this car, I'll go to a different one and keep on <laughs> with my activities. So we're all eternal beings, and the bodies are only temporary vehicles. So when you have that conviction and that realization, you actually feel and experience and taste your spiritual identity and what happens on the bodily plane is just a piece of cake. Mm-hmm. It, it reminds me of my twin sister. Her husband's German. And so he always, when they first got married and I was talking to him, he was saying that he's happy that he has this introduction to Hollywood movies because in Germany they don't always have happy endings in their movies. And I think what you're saying is ultimately everything's going to be okay uh, which oh, yeah. is kind of a Hollywood ending. The ultimately, ultimately, see, there actually, ultimate, the ultimate destination of every living entity is originally is to go back to that original, that spiritual existence for life is eternal, full of bliss and knowledge. That we're all originally from that place, that sometimes, because one is not forced to stay there, you have a free will. If you want to check out another scene where you can think that you're the center of existence, you can do that. And that's the material existence. I think I'm the center. You think you're the center. Everyone thinks they're the center. Even the dog thinks he's the center. Ruff, ruff, ruff. What are you doing on my street, you see? <laughs> we all have a tendency to think I'm the center of existence. That's, this material existence is a facility, a playground, where we can think that I'm the center of existence. But when you realize that I'm not really the center, there's a supreme person out there. That some call him Krishna. Some call him Jehovah. Some call him Allah. Some refer to the name of Christ. There's not any one, there's not a sectarian thing. But there's a universal science of the soul, a science of the spirit, and there's actually a supreme person out there who has unlimited names, and that supreme person has his, his, um, his abode uh, where everyone's serving him in, in, in internally useful bodies and never gets sick, never gets old, never has to worry about coronavirus. But if, you, if one has a desire to, instead of acknowledging that supreme, to think that oneself is the supreme, then you're allowed a world where you can think you're the supreme until you get tired of playing that game and you want to go back to acknowledging the, the actual supreme instead of thinking yourself is supreme. So that's now, in a nutshell the whole science that I teach, the science of devotion. I love it. And when you're talking about the, uh, when you're talking karma, could, could you make the, the premise that, we didn't get it right 100 years ago and we wanted the free will to experience it and, and, and overcome it and transcend it this time? See, the, the, all these, we're getting, these uh, we're getting the slaps of material nature to remind us that this is not really our home. This is, mm-hmm. I want to always be, I, I never want to be in anxiety. I don't want to even get old, but to speak of uh, getting sick or dying, I don't want to experience those things. So, that actual feeling in nature we have not to want to get sick, not want to get old, not to die, that's our actual nature. And it's actually, we actually have an identity which, is, which matches that 
desire we have within. So that's that's what I teach. I teach my students how to awaken that divine consciousness within. So even within this present body, you can feel your eternal identity beyond your body and not be disturbed by whatever happens to your body. Even death will be a piece of cake. Well, you want to go to a different room now. Switch to a different car. And give up my uh, old beat-up uh, you know, car and get a rose now. It's to switch bodies. But the, the, ultimate, the ultimate thing is we, you awaken a spiritual body which never gets sick and never gets old, never dies. That, that's the ultimate conclusion. And that's, this is the science of bhakti yoga, the yoga of devotion. Other yogas lead to this, but this is, the, this is called the highest of all yoga systems in the ancient Vedic wisdom. In the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, yogi, this I'll give you a little Sanskrit, Yogi Namapi Sarvesham Mangatina Taratmana Shadavam Yoman Sama Yukta Tame Mataha. Give all the yogis who works with me in devotion is the highest of all. So when you come to that yoga of linking with that supreme person in devotion, then you actually become totally free of anxiety. And that's what I've been doing for the last fifty years. I've been practicing that path of bhakti yoga for fifty years now. It's an incredible the consciousness to be in 24-7. Sure. Consciousness to be in. I'm sure. Now, before you got into it... Huh? Before you got into it, was it... Before I got into it, I was a frustrated college youth wondering what is the meaning of life. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And my professor didn't tell me, but the the whole... um, You know, I started reading books about self-realization. I also was reading Yogananda, like you mentioned. And, uh, you know, I, you start finding out there's something called self-realization out there. And how do you get it? So I, I, I tried different teachers and different techniques. And I, it wasn't until I finally came to A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami, the one, the one who started the Hare Krishna movement, the one that George Harrison really liked, too. I, when I, my, I, I became a student of Bhaktivedanta Swami. He's the one who gave me the name Thankarshandas. I became his student back in 1971. We're talking 49 years ago. It really, the lights really turned on when I followed his his his, uh, his instructions on how to turn on the self within. It's just wow, incredible thing happened to me, and it's been going on incredibly ever since. 49 years now. Absolutely, that's a great story. And just, I'm just thinking of like George. George Harrison put that on his son, My Sweet Lord, the Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. That mantra is called the king of all mantras. And if you chant it every day, get up and meditate on it in the morning, you'll take off into whole other dimensions of consciousness. You actually feel like you're flying into other dimensions of consciousness. It's amazing. Oh, wow. <laughs> when you're flying in the other dimensions, is there a desire to stay in those other dimensions? What brings you back here? Actually, actually, I one by this process, even you can be in the world and not other world both at the same time. You can be in, you can stay in that higher dimension while at the same time you connect with this dimension to uh, out of out of love and kindness to help bring the person in this dimension to that dimension. So I'm fully connected with the material world. That's why I'm on your show today. <laughs> I'm fully connected. See, I'm fully connected. I have a new course with, with thousands of people all over the world. I send out a broadcast every day on the Internet. I'm fully connected with this material world. But in a spiritual way, you see, I'm connected with the spiritual world and the material world simultaneously. 
I just like the fact I mean, we, that you're talking about no anxiety whatsoever. I have students who are all, you know, have jobs, have businesses. They're all, my students, you know, they work jobs. Um, I guess my, my student here works for IBM. You know, they're very good employees. They do a good job. They get, they get paid well. They're appreciated as employees. But that, that I teach them how to do it in a transcendental consciousness it's called Krishna consciousness. And you know, I have disciples all over the world who are, who are you know, in, who are working jobs, running businesses. And I got one who's uh, the runs a, a radio station in Europe. It's called European Hit Radio. He plays all the top hits of uh, European radio. That's his his station, European Hit Radio. He's my student. Mm. So I, you can be a businessman, you can be a, a teacher, you can be a worker, a, a scientist. You can be anything and practice this. What would you say? Because it sounds like you are the embodiment of quote-unquote, staying the course. And there were a lot of people in that time, as you were saying, the late 60s, early 70s, that seemed like the age of enlightenment. And for whatever reason, you know, times people change, and late 70s, right. 80s, right. they became totally right. different people. What, right. what ca- How'd you stay the course? Well, I've been very determined from the very beginning. For me, that whole 60s thing the counter, I was really serious about a spiritual revolution, actually. I started off as a singer-songwriter. I became, actually, I shared the stage of the airplane and the dead. I was, you know, I was, I was very popular here in Austin as a singer-songwriter, trying to revolutionize, bring a revolution through my music to the world. But then I realized that there was something even more powerful than what I was doing, and that the, the Bank Bhaktivedanta Swami was doing that. So I joined forces with him. So my vision has always been from the, from the countercultural days. I didn't just get into it, you know, for some easy sex and some quick drugs. I didn't get into that. I get into it for spiritual, spiritual revolution. That was my whole vision from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. So that that spiritual now that spirit that desire to to perfect my own self, the spiritual make a spiritual revolution within my own heart, and make a spiritual revolution on this planet to completely turn history, world history, right right side up. It's carrying me through these many decades, and it's keeping me going. At the age of 72, I'm as, as enthusiastic as I was when I was 23. Well, I love it. And in that time, in the late 60s, 70s, we, we were dealing collectively with a, a war, and, you know, there were a lot of other oh, yeah. things going on with just oh, transition yeah. social. They tried to draft me. They wanted to send me to Vietnam. And as a student, you got out, or how did you get out of it? Well, um, I first of all went to the the Oakland Induction Center, and I I said I was psychologically unfit, and I went into the psychiatrist, and I pounded my fist on his desk and yelled at the top of my lungs, "Fuck the army! Fuck the army! Fuck the army!" So that got me after six months. But then they sent me back, and this time I knew, boy. So I was just praying. Dear, I had a mantra. It was called, "Dear God." Please don't let me go into the army. I was in my head were buried, buried in prayer, and they called me, went, they sent me to a civilian psychologist who had actually been in Vietnam treating the uh, the, the boys who were suffering horrible psychology, psychological problems from being fighting in Vietnam. So he, I, I went in, I sat down with him. He looked me straight in the face. He said, "You're sane, aren't you?" And I said, "Yes, I am." But I just don't want to kill. And nobody said, "Is that okay?" But I can do to help you. 
I'll see what I can do to help you. He gave me a 4F, a 4F department. He actually helped me out. He, he lied to help to save me. He was working for the Army, but he lied to save me because he saw my sincere desire and he helped me out. So I've been God's grace. I got this sincere person who, uh, who got me the 4F deferment, which is pure gold in those days. 4F deferment, that's pure gold. I got a 4F deferment, permanently unfit for military service. He, that, psychiatrist, that psychologist really helped me out. He really did. Yeah. He saw my sincerity, and he, he, he helped me out. He lied for me. He was working for the government, but he lied for me and got me out of the military going to Vietnam. Let me so ask that was, you. That was, God, that was God's grace. That was God's grace that man in the heart, you know. Are you familiar with Neville Goddard? Uh, no, I'm not. Tell me about yeah, so, this. Sure. So Neville, uh, as I understand it, he had learned uh, spiritualism, if you will, if we could use that as a word, uh, from... Um, I want to say a Moore or someone else in the 20s, and we don't know who he didn't. He only spoke with him about him minimally, but where mm-hmm. he became popular because Wayne Dyer uh, learned a lot from his teachings, and Reverend Ike learned a lot from his teachings, and they were in essence students. And he had a story in that it was World War II, and he had just got married and had a baby, but they still shipped him off. But he had visualized him being back home in his in his wife's arms with the baby, and he was able to do it in like 90 days. And he tried to get others to, you know, do it the way he did, or just kind of have that mindset. But they thought it was, you know, baloney. <laughs> so I was wondering, with you exercising that different mindset, that you were able to help those that had come back for more. Well, I um, I never really uh, no one ever approached me. I didn't. Uh, I mean, I might. I don't know if any war vets. Uh, I had my music there, which uh, people really grooved on my music. And that may have I, there may have been some war vets who heard my music who uh, liked my music. But, and certainly, I have been been teaching this the bhakti yoga science since 1971. I may have helped a few veterans with that. I'm not sure along the way. Maybe I, I'm. I must have helped some along the way with the, with this with the science of self-realization that I teach. I'm sure some of them must have been helped. And at that time, someone may have done maybe one or two tours versus today there are multiple tours. And we saw the damage it did to a person's psyche doing the one or two tours. So what, what would you say to someone that's, oh, well, that time is different and I've done many more tours. How could you well, get them I, let me, to active? Let me explain. Let me explain. In the Vedic culture, see, right now we're fighting wars that are not really, our wars are not really proper wars. Um, they're based on economics, uh, different factors. The whole motive, the, um, in the Vedic culture, war was only if an aggressor attacked you, then you would then we defend. And the, the warrior class were a certain, there was a certain class of men. It's not the people who were, there was four classes of men in the Vedic culture. The, the, the teachers, they were called Brahmins. You had the Chatris, they were political rulers and soldiers. That was their nature. And then you have merchants and farmers and you have the worker class. So they, they would never take a worker class person and put him in the war field or a mercantile class person or a businessman. 
in the Vedic culture, only certain, there's a certain caliber of people who are inclined to that, and they would be engaged in that way. Not to, you wouldn't draft people out of, a, you know, out of a, a job at Walmart to go out and shoot, you see? Mm-hmm. The, the Vedic culture would actually recognize certain caliber, certain mentality people and, who had that nature and train them. But it, they were called chatriyas, which means one who protects from harm. They were not aggressors. But they were there. If aggressors attacked, they would protect the citizens uh, from the, the, the exploitation of the aggressors. Mm. Okay. And uh, I'm just I'm trying to make the parallels between the 71 when you were a student versus mm-hmm. today. And at the beginning, we were talk, talking about students feeling that the earth is going to be uninhabitable. Right, like it seems like every generation has this doom and gloom, and is that is that just a part of the contrast to you reach your self realization? Is this part of the process? Well, the the, the thing is, there the, the, our planetary culture is on a downward spiral right now. There's no doubt it's on a downward spiral, ever increasing, more pollution. There's all kinds of downward spirals happening, that which are uh, we're acting out of harmony the laws of nature, and we're getting a karmic reaction of the world becoming more and more polluted, more and more disoriented. So, uh, my, our position is uh, what I'm doing is is we have actually a solution how to rectify all these problems. We understand the problems are there, but we have a solution for the problems, and we have to reconnect. Uh, in a loving relationship with that source of all existence. Instead of trying to enjoy separately from the Supreme, if we, we, we make our happiness to give pleasure to that Supreme. So it's like when you bring, here's a very good example. Look at your body, for example. Now, every part of the body needs nutrition, right? Mm-hmm. But how, how do you give nutrition to every part of the body? Does the hand just go for it independently to try to get the nutrition through the skin? No, the hand cannot do that. The hand may try to squash the, uh, the food in the fingers, but the hand cannot get the nutrition by doing that. The hand gets the nutrition by feeding it to the belly. So what we're tra- the difficulty of our modern-day society, we're like hands trying to enjoy separately from the belly. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. When you actually teach everyone how to reconnect themselves with that supreme, the source of all existence, that supreme person, then, and we all, we all channel our energy towards him. That's how we all get energized. Devotion to that supreme, that's how we get the energy. When you, when you feed, when you water the root of the tree, all the leaves and branches are nourished. When you feed your belly, your whole body is nourished. When we can learn to channel our energy to that supreme person, the source of all existence, then we all get energized. So the trouble is we're trying to deny that supreme person. That's our modern-day society. Everyone thinks they're the supreme person. You know, but mm-hmm. we deny that actual supreme person. And we acknowledge that supreme person and render loving service to that supreme person, then there's an incredible energy that will completely uh, flood the whole earth with happiness and prosperity. And that's what we're trying to teach people. We can bring a beautiful age, a prosperous, a beautiful, clean environment, prosperity for every man, woman, child on this planet. And all the, even the trees and the animals will be happy. Mm. See, that's our mission. I want to ask you another uh, pre-life scripting, if you will, uh, because mm-hmm. as you're talking, it, it made me think of the 1920s in Europe mm-hmm. and the leader that started World War II had um, access 
or was introduced to a lot of Eastern culture about, like you were saying, this altruism and self-realization. But then something happens, and not just this person, but throughout time it seems like that balance where you may get access mm-hmm. to self-realization, but then you feel, oh, well, what about the material world? And, and I can take advantage over everyone else because I'm using the self-realization for... Uh, no, he, he, uh, he, uh, he, he speaks quite about... He used the word Aryan, which is actually a word in the basic scriptures, right? but he, mm-hmm. he perverted the whole thing for selfish beauty purposes. Sure. This is my this is my bonafide spiritual master. You see that in the Vedic culture, you have the political leaders, but they are they actually subordinate themselves to, to uh, spiritual teachers. They don't take the leading role in the society. They act as servants of the spiritual teachers, who have a pure mood of devotion, who aren't trying to exploit anyone. A political leader may he gets off the track, may become very exploitative, like Hilter did. You see, but mm-hmm. if he had actually followed the truth. He talked about Aryan culture, but he didn't accept a, a bona fide, he didn't accept a spiritual master to guide him how to, to lead his country properly in a, in a way which is in harmony with the, the higher principles. He completely perverted the whole thing. Now, of course, we're looking back. Huh? I want to ask you, just looking back, right, since, mm-hmm. since we're not there, uh, and looking at his whole life, could you say, well, there was fear, there was a fear based of being poor and destitute like he was when his, when his mom died? And I'm like, hey, this is my one shot to uh, get my self-realization as I see it, and that's how you get swayed off the path, that selfishness? Well, I don't, I'm not an, an expert on Hitler's uh, biography, but um, his motive was political. He wasn't, he wasn't, his motive was not self-realization. He had political motive. Mm-hmm. He wanted power. That's what he was after. Power and wealth. Sure. He wasn't looking for self-realization. Sure. And uh, I'm asking, I don't want to just stick on him. I'm, I'm just thinking of the battle, if you will, between, um, uh, what was his name, Westinghouse versus, uh, what was the other guy, J.P. Morgan. J.P. Morgan had Thomas Edison and Westinghouse had, had a Tom, uh, Nikolai Tesla. And Nikolai Tesla, it sounds like a lot of what he was doing was for self-realization for the better good of all, but it didn't have any financial gains to it. So it seems like a, a universal conflict that we'll always have of the, the betterment for all versus the betterment for the few. Yeah, so the trouble is we're, we're still overwhelmed by greed. We don't understand... <clears throat> The Vedic, there's a very nice peace formula given in the uh, ancient Vedic wisdom. Actually, I put this in my song, the peace formula, the one that, that Barack Obama really loved the song. But the, 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 in Sanskrit, it goes like this: Bhuktadam jagatapasam sarva loka mahishvaram suhridam sarva bhutanam yatvamam shantam richchati. One who knows the supreme enjoyer, supreme owner, and best friend of all living entities, he alone can enjoy peace. So that supreme person is the source of all existence. He's the actual owner of everything. We might think, I own this, I own that, but it's, you know, it's in our hands today and goes away tomorrow. Mm-hmm. We, we can't claim ownership of anything. That supreme mm-hmm. person, he's the true owner of everything. Everything is for his pleasure, and he's the best friend of everyone. And as soon as I try to claim ownership or proprietorship, this is mine. It's like little kids, you know, fighting over a toy, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's the same principle going on in, uh, in our world leaders. Like the same thing of two little kids fighting over a toy. It's the same mentality in our modern-day political leaders. 
they don't understand that Supreme Person is the actual owner of everything, and everything should be for His pleasure. Now, this nationalism is a, is a is a false proprietorship. There's actually one. We're actually one. We're actually one community, but we divided into all these nations and we claim proprietorship. You can't come on my land. This is our. This is our border here. It's actually all God's property. But they're making borderlines. It's like when I was a little boy, my brother and I, Bob, we shared the bedroom, but we made a line down the road. My territory and your territory. You're not allowed <laughs> in my territory. Can you imagine two little boys sharing a room? <laughs> it's just like the nations. We're doing the same stupid thing. We're making all these borderlines. Actually, the whole thing is God's country, and we're all God's children. But they, people don't acknowledge that. They want to claim out, this is mine, you see. But we understand, I, near mama, nothing is mine. Everything is the property of that supreme person. Everything is for his pleasure. Let's work together as a loving family to, to, to please him and to, to make all of our brothers and sisters happy all over the whole world. That's, that's how we'll have peace. Yeah, I guess the, the same argument can be made over the last couple of hundred years, right? I mean, that was that altruistic output, but they, those people got exploited and may not even be on the planet today for having that outlook. So uh, do you think we'll get to that, uh, a critical mass of that same feeling? Yeah. The self-censure proprietorship doesn't do you a damn bit of good at the time of death. <laughs> the time of death, you come naked, you go naked, you can so why claim it in the beginning? This is mine. You came with nothing. You leave with nothing. Why claim it's mine in the beginning? It doesn't make any sense. And you, you, you're talking about uh, a radical solution to cleaning up pollution, what we can do within ourselves. I'd like for you to talk a little bit right. about That's that as right. well. This external pollution we have right now is simply a manifestation of the internal pollution. Mm. Because we're all at this... This, this lording it over, I'm the center of the universe mentality. It's a polluted mentality. It shows up in the form of air pollution, water pollution, all kinds of horrible things going on around us. And we actually acknowledge this, that supreme person, we're all part and parcel of him, we're his, his children, his servants. We, we purify our consciousness. You'll automatically, the, the difficulties, the wars, the air pollution, the water pollution, the mind pollution, it will all just gradually fade away. And that's what, that's what my agenda is until my last dying breath, to, to bring that higher kindness to the whole world. And I appreciate the opportunity to share it with you all today on this show. Absolutely. Uh, you talked about air pollution and water pollution. What about the influence of noise pollution? That's another one right there, noise pollution as well. Because uh, we were taught, or I was taught or heard, some time ago that it's uh, weapons of mass distractions and with that distractions there's a lot of noise uh, that's fighting for your attention and you can't you can't really settle down and not be anxious if you're surrounded by constant noise all the time but we, yeah we teach transcendental sound vibration that the the holy name of god whether you chant allah jehovah krishna it doesn't matter which tradition you follow but if you will chant the holy name of God according to your own tradition, or if you don't have one, you can do this one. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. By vibrating the holy name of God, which is a transcendental sound vibration, it purifies the consciousness. It frees you from the false sense of ownership, from the false sense of misidentifying with the body, which gets sick, gets old, and dies. It actually brings you back to your realization of your eternal identity, which is eternal, full of bliss and knowledge. 
So we recommend that the, the, the noise pollution should be counteracted by the transmetal sound vibration. You can do it individually in your own bedroom. We even get together and sing and dance with it. We, have, we go out on the streets with our drums and cymbals and sing so everybody can hear. Mm -hmm. uh, we make it a public thing. It's like an... And we're going out to the park. I think we're going to the park this weekend to sit down in the trees and, and play the drums and cymbals and sing loudly the Hare Krishna mantra to purify the whole atmosphere. Anybody who walks by will get a great blessing. It, it makes me think of uh, Greg Braden. And Greg Braden was talking about after 9-11, you, you could actually measure the fear on the earth. And so I was just wondering, when you're talking about transmental sound vibration, has there been any um, intrinsic motivation to do it in a group for the planet? It creates fearlessness. Mm -hmm. the, more, the more you take shelter, that supreme person, the source of all existence, is our most intimate, loving friend. The more you take shelter of him and realize everything is ultimately happening under his energy, then there's no more anxiety. You become free of all the anxiety. So we encourage everyone to reconnect with that supreme person in a loving relationship, and that, that brings fearlessness. Mm. One becomes fearless by taking shelter of that supreme person. I'm your eternal servant. Guide me however you want me to serve you. Like Christ says in the Bible, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. That is, mm. when you put that self, that oneself in that kind of relationship with the supreme person, you become fearless because you understand he's only controlling everything. And he's arranging everything for me to revive that relationship with him and to facilitate everybody reviving their relationship with him, which will create a beautiful, paradisal Garden of Eden atmosphere on this planet. No, it's very helpful. It made me think of um, the, the, what do you call it, the, um, how the alternates, like the, the contrast, right? We have one president and then we have another president and, and they, they seem like severely, I mean, there's such a contrast between the two. It seems oh, like yeah, at one point, Oh yeah, I'm flying, I'm flying. And then, <laughs> then you run into a, a air pollution and then you're not flying anymore. And I would think you would think once you get to a certain level, it would be a tangential, but it seems like it's more of an ebb and flow and just letting go. No, once, once you get to the transmental platform, which is beyond all the, 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 the ebbs and flows of the material nature, then uh, you, you see all that is the, uh, it's out there in the material nature. It's not, me, it's not touching me anymore. It's something that's out there in the material nature. That's so I'm in a different dimension now. I'm in a transcendental dimension, in a loving relationship with that supreme person. And everything I do is in relationship with him. And uh, whatever happens in the material world, it's ultimately under his direction. So it doesn't matter. Whatever he wants to do with me uh, is fine. I can live for to be 500 or I can live to be uh, 75. It doesn't matter. It's up to him. I'll leave the body whenever he wants me to. But I'm just working under his direction for his pleasure. And therefore, I have no anxiety about anything because he's the supreme controller of everything. Mm -hmm. so that brings me... I wanted to ask you about, and this is more, <laughs> it's probably more of an anxiety oh, yeah. question. Sure. <laughs> so I wanted I, to I, ask before you. Before we go, though, I have, to give my, I have to give my web address. Anybody wants to get my training program, which is free, you go to www.joincourse.com, J-O-I-N-C-O-U-R-S-E.com. Get on my free course, and I'll, I'll train you. You can even ask me questions personally, and I'll answer them. 
Oh, phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal. Uh, well, let's just, no, let's no, use the person. Free, that, no charge. No charge. Free oh, charge. thank no you for that. Involved. Thank you. Yeah. And the question would be, let's just say, I just graduated from college and I'm like, oh, so I don't, I, I can't get my questions answered. And then I come across joincourse.com. And at the time, I, my girlfriend's with me and I'm thinking we're going to ride off to the sunset together until we're 90 or 100, or like you said, whenever it's time for me to go. But mm-hmm. she's now, she doesn't want to do this anymore. She, <laughs> she, she only wanted to do it during high school or during college. So what do you do as far as if you have children or you have family and you want to follow this path? The best best thing is to um, hold off on marriage until you're on this path and find somebody else on the path. That's the best thing. Mm. That's what I did. I didn't didn't get married until I've been practicing this for 14 years and I was really fixed in it. And I married somebody else who's already fixed in it. We've been a great partners for 35 years because we're both doing the same thing. We're both trying... We're both helping each other be, to achieve this, you know, what you, we call it Krishna consciousness. We're, be, we're helping each other. She helps my Krishna consciousness and I help her. That's our relationship. It's beautiful. That's mm. the best thing. But if you're already married, um, then, um, you know, just you try to get your spouse to go along with you. That's the best you can do. Sure. Have her, uh, join my, have her check out my e-course. Maybe I'll convince her. <laughs> <laughs> well that that kind of goes back to another material question in that sure. it, um when you, today it just seems uh you know let's say 71 1971 you your your other counterpart or other potential partner maybe lived in a small town so you know if you didn't date jenny you dated mary there was only like a small handful but now in 2020, everyone's like, well, what else is out there? Something else out there is better. So let's say you got on the course and met your, who you thought would be your wife, but you're like, I'm going to wait. and If this one's great, that means I'm going to find someone even better. In our culture, um, divorce is taboo. It's a lifetime commitment. Marriage is a lifetime commitment. It's a taboo. We don't, that's why you take one thing very careful, makes a very careful decision if we're getting married because we don't, the divorce is not part of our culture. It's actually not a very good thing for the children. It's just a very disruptive thing. So the best thing is to take time and trouble and be in the proper mood of loving devotion of the Supreme, find a past spouse in the same mentality. That's the ideal thing. Do you think yeah, things, everything that comes around goes around? Do you think this this ride where we had to see the contrast of, oh, yeah, I can get a divorce through a drive through and didn't see the ramifications of the family, you think it'll go back to how it was before where it was frowned upon? Well, um, we, I think we're going to, I envision that we're going to come back to that more to do, because what we're teaching here is actually going to solve all the world's problems. People can't understand it now, but uh, as our teachings become more understood and accepted, we're going to we go back to a more traditional lifestyle on this planet where people are much more happy. That's what's going to, I think that's going to be the result. Is uh, What I'm teaching is more and more accepted throughout the world. And I have others in our movement are also teaching the same thing all over the world. When this becomes more, this gradually becomes more accepted, you can see a more traditional uh, lifestyle coming back to this planet. It makes everybody much more happy. And this so-called modern, you know, jumping, uh, spouse jumping every other week uh, mentality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
it, and if there's a collective consciousness that does get raised, I think that would be the transcendence um, beyond third dimension or third dimension will just be collectively on a higher this vibration? Is the, this is the fifth dimension. Mm-hmm. What we're teaching is the fifth dimension. How does that enter in the fifth dimension? Aha. Gotcha. Gotcha. And is that one, I know we've interviewed some other people that were talking about timelines and from 2012, it was the transition into, that's why we have so much upheaval because we're getting, or we have to get used to the fifth dimension. Are you of that same mindset? We're, we're, we're beyond, what we teach is beyond time altogether. The fifth dimension is beyond time. Time doesn't even exist in the fifth dimension. Okay. We're going beyond time altogether. Very Bring interesting. Bringing timelessness, timelessness. Well, I guess that would make sense if knowledge is infinite, right? Experiences would be infinite yeah, as well. Yeah, been a, you, every living entity has an, in, has an eternal existence. Right now he's misidentifying with his temporary body, and that's the cause of all of his anxiety. All anxiety is due to misidentification with the material body. When you re-identify with your eternal spiritual nature, you become free of anxiety. It's a simple mm. thing. The deathless... Yeah, Eternally youthful self, who you actually are, is totally free from anxiety. So as soon as you start re-identifying with who you really are and stop misidentifying with what you're not, you become anxiety-free. And that's what we mm-hmm. teach. Wow. And, and the consistence for over 50 years speaks volume. So, again, please let people know how they could get the Conquer Your Mind and Deliver the World, empowering you to awaken yeah, your divine It'll be available. The, it's, not a, I'm still, it's a work in process, but if mm-hmm. they sign up at joincourse.com, they'll be announced as soon as it's available. Joincourse.com. You'll find it as soon as it's available, you'll immediately be informed. J-O-I-N-C-O-U-R-S-E.com. Joincourse.com. It's a free sign-up. And uh, there's no, never any fees. It's, uh, I know I'm never trying to get any money out of you. I'm just trying to serve. And so people that's donate, enough. and that's how I survive. They, they appreciate what I'm doing, and they give loving donations. But no, we don't ever charge any money. Okay. I just live by donations because people appreciate I'm giving a free service. Hey, you're doing a good thing. Let me give you some help. People donate. It's tax deductible. And we're, you know, we're recognized by the IRS. So people give donations out of their, because they appreciate our loving kindness. They give loving kindness in return, but there's no charges at all. Mm-hmm. Well, you heard it here, folks. So you have just been in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza. And Shankarshan, it's been a pleasure speaking with you this last oh, hour. It's been an absolute delight to be with you all. One of the best times I've ever had in my whole life is being with you here today. Well, thank you, sir. Let, let's stay in touch, and um, we'll, I'm sure we'll cross paths. Yeah, I'll be happy to be on again, then. When you're ready, when you, just uh, let me know. And if you, uh, check out my free course. <laughs> if you have any questions, you can ask me. I'll train you on how to perfect your consciousness beyond all the anxieties of material existence. Absolutely. I'll, I'll sign up as soon as we end off, as soon as we signed off. So uh, have a good evening. God bless you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.